Hey, AGs, are you ready to add a touch of luxury to your home, just like the Real Housewives? BCC Villa Rosa. Introducing Home Threads, where style meets comfort for the ultimate glam experience. Picture this. Chic furniture, one could even say chic c'est la vie, that mirrors the elegance of your favorite housewives' mansions. With exclusive designer collections and a curated selection, HomeThreads.com has everything you need to make your space as fabulous as the housewives themselves and always at the best value. Unlike Joe Gorka's initial attempts at windows, perhaps. Now, I have to tell you, I know that Padma is no longer on Top Chef, and may her memory be a blessing, but nothing has made me feel better prepared to host future seasons and potentially even iterations of Top Chef Upper East Side Edition than the Henkel's clad 10-piece stainless steel cookware set in silver that I got along with a two-piece stainless steel ceramic nonstick fry set from Zwilling thanks to Home Threads. It makes me feel like I am finally ready to be a top chef one egg over easy at a time. They're gorgeous. They look great in the apartment. For someone like me who lives in New York City which with a very small space, what I have in my kitchen is important because guests who come to visit me see it. And I'm so, so thankful to have discovered Home Threads because now I feel fully prepared to make eggs a la Francais. Head over to HomeThreads.com today and live your best Real Housewives life. Go to HomeThreads.com slash AndyScrolls and get a code for 15% off your first order. Again, that's HomeThreads.com slash AndyScrolls for a 15% off code off your first order. HomeThreads, love where you live. My favorite <laughs> Okay. My favorite color is pink, but if you piss me off, I'll only see blue. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, I hate you. Ride month may be over, but just like Bronwyn, I'm still gay. <laughs> Oh my God, you guys, it's Andy's Girls. It's episode 230, and I am so excited to have my second in-person recording since the COVID journey began with one of my favorite people, a fellow vaccinista. You know him as the content manager pop culture at Betches Media, the host of the Pop Alarm podcast, and the creator of Instagram, Insta-classic, Insta-famous. Put it is a price of admission is to follow it on IG before you get into the Housewives Museum. Bravo by Betches. You guys, it's Dylan Hafer. Hello, Sarah. <laughs> You're so befuddled. <laughs> No, I'm so, it's so funny to be back on the people's, people's couch. Can you believe also I need to get rid of the people's people? I will, we'll see. We're, we're going to see what's happening with my lease. You wanted me to bring a new couch with me today. Yeah. You asked if, um, you said, do I need to bring any equipment? And I said, yes, a new couch. Thank you so much. I had one in my, uh, in my backpack, but I left it on the bus. How (laughs) dear, was it blue velvet? Cause that's what I want. Oh yeah. It was like a, it what is it? A cloud couch? Like what? There's like a couch that like influencers lives in the sky. Have. Oh, no, I feel, I feel like it's the couch where like when you watch the Architectural Digest YouTube videos. Oh, love. 
like they always are just like naming like artists and brands and mm-hmm. you know designers mm-hmm. as if they're just like I mean I guess for like the architectural digest like people they know but they're like yeah like that's my couch from like mama blah, 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 blah. and you're like oh my god like one of those like I would love one of those Dakota Johnson's architectural mm. digest you just gotta go to that guys if you ever just need she to feel lines. good she loves lines. her dog's cemetery or whatever or cat the some best. sort of animal is buried under her pool or whatever my favorite part of that Open Door. The series is Open Door. They're so good. You guys have to. It's like 15 minutes of joy. It's honestly bliss. How adamant she is that they are not to see the inside of her bedroom. Love it. And like at one point when she is like leading them out of the yard, there's like a door open behind her and it's like her bedroom. (laughs) And they're like trying to get a peek and she's like, wait, no, stop. (laughs) And it's like, I I mean, I support people's privacy. Mm -hmm, Like I, mm -hmm. you know celebrities deserve rights like all of that but it's so funny that like the ad cameraman is like trying to get a glimpse inside dakota johnson's bedroom and i think they're all slightly awkward because they know that it's off limits and she's like no you're not she's she's a uh, i just love her so much i'm gonna tell you to fuck off with a smile on my face right now like get the fuck out of my house i have to say i've seen the social network at least 40 times yeah at least 50 times i've watched it over and i went on a vacation in miami one time and it was the only thing i listened to i've listened to the commentary bajillions of times it's one of those movies that i vibe to i love the music i love the energy i love the edit i love literally everything about it and i remember watching it and being like who is that during her, her scene first film role and she was incredible she's so magnetic i love her i think she's absolutely fabulous yeah she's she's one of those people where like her first she like burst onto the scene yes. with 50 shades of gray and it was like mm. that was such a whole like mess mess of a you know project yeah and like nobody ever really took it seriously like People people cared more about the soundtracks than the movies themselves. It just wasn't sexy, which so is a problem like, for a and movie so I about feel sex. Like Dakota, really, I mean, whatever. She's like set for life from her parents, so it's not like I'm like boohooing for her. But she really had to like work, yeah, work up some credibility mm-hmm. after that. I feel like, and I think I think she's I think she's done it. I don't know. I feel like probably a lot of like quote unquote normal people are probably still like. Fifty Shades of Grey girl, but I'm like, it's Dakota Johnson. <laughs> I did recently, it was on something or it's, you can stream it on something. I've watched it out of order and I never read the books. I've only read, I've only seen the first one and I've also only read the first book. I think there are three. I read the first book when I was in high school. So I remember. And I my- had it, I had it on my Kindle. To hide it? Yeah. My mom... Because it's like uh, rated R if books oh, were rated, it's, it's right? it's rated NC-17, <gasps> baby. It? Maybe I, I should read it. I didn't tell my mom that I had read it until like a few years after. Until I like knew she couldn't be mad anymore. And then she was kind of like, oh, like how was it? I remember my colorist assistant went up to me when I was like getting my hair done whenever and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh, I have a... Have you read this book? And I thought <laughs> she was going to... I was like, what book are we... Like, I was like, who... Like a... I was thinking it was some sort of like political something or whatever. And she's like 50 shades of gray. And I had never 
heard of it. So I had no idea what she was talking about. I didn't Google it. And then I went to a dinner with some people shortly thereafter and they were talking about it. And I was like, wow, you guys are like big readers, like good for you. And then, and then you're (laughs) you're all just horny. You're all just, but maybe I should. Is it sexy? Do you feel, do you feel the sex when you're reading? Like, do you feel, does it make you feel not like you don't have to say like aroused, but like, do you feel connected to it? It, it was so long ago that I read it and I yeah. was so and much so younger young. yeah, yeah, yeah. that I feel like when I was reading it when I was like 16 or something, I'm sure I did yeah. feel aroused. No, but like adult, but, adult no, like, people were reading yeah. it and feeling aroused. No, saying, totally. Like, I'm not I saying like, like that was my experience then that I definitely, but also it was kind of like forbidden almost. Whereas like if I like sat down to read it, you know, like on a Saturday at a coffee shop now, I don't think I would be like, oh my God, I'm hot and bothered like it might be like I might I might enjoy the reading experience but I don't think I would be like what is this doing to me I also totally wasn't connecting the dots even when I because I assume that we're the same age because we are so even when you're telling me you read it in high school which is the same period of time in which again I was experiencing that hair appointment and then at a dinner we were both in high school during that time so I (laughs) even though you said high school I'm still associating you saying that with like being the same age that I was when it happened so even me asking you like did it make you feel good I'm like wait this is a different thing he's telling me he was younger I specifically remember having my kindle I was in a community theater production of the music man Mm. and i was i like had my kindle and was like reading it at rehearsal when i wasn't on stage oh my god what (laughs) Um, marion but more importantly you have have you seen the movie book club yeah were they with candace bergen and (laughs) ray perlman and jane fonda and somebody else somebody else and then somebody is like the child they're they're reading 50 shades of gray i have seen it it's so good it's I probably better than the Fifty Shades of Grey movie. It is Andy I'm, Garcia. Oh, he's so. Oh hot. my god. Well, so. Oh, oh my god. Hurts me. He's so beautiful. Like actually, <laughs> hurts my spirit. And he's also one of those guys who's like, just so sexy that it's just it hurts. It actually hurts that I don't have access to him. He's also that's <laughs> one of those people where like, do you do you, did you ever have the experience of like when when you no. were a kid. When you were a kid and, like, your mom, like, thought a celebrity was, like, hot or, like, had, like, a funny, like, crush on a celebrity and you were, like, oh, like, haha, like, mom thinks this guy is hot and then now I'm, like, an adult and this person is, like, 15 years older and I'm, like, oh, no, he's hot. I don't remember – this is so – I don't remember my mom ever saying that anybody was, like, oh, they're super cute or whatever. I do remember okay. – going to bridesmaids with my family and then after the movie my mom was like that actor was really good he you know and it's like crazy that he like looked like John Hamm and I was like I was like that was John Hamm she's like it wasn't John Hamm and I said I bet you a hundred dollars that that was John Hamm and I won and she physically had to I was shocked that like ma'am that is John that is John Hamm so I won a hundred dollars there but the only person (laughs) I've ever heard her talk about like she has a crush is actually (laughs) the husband of one of her best friend's daughters 
who she's always she's talked about him a couple times she's a cougar cougar and she's like he's so cute and blah 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 and his this is like very jewish but she was like you know and he's not jewish but his family did genuinely like save a bunch of people during the holocaust and she's just like very into him for a lot of ways and he is 40 years younger than she is but anytime she talks about him it's like all right she's got stars in her eyes thank god very shalomi mazel my mom doesn't watch bravo so she'll never hear this um she had a crush on Adam Levine for a long time. Oh, wow. Um, Specific taste. Yeah. And, like, at one point, as, like, sort of a gag gift, my sister and I got her a phone case that had, like, a shirtless picture of Adam Levine printed on the back. And it was like, Ma- like oh, like, Mom, you love Adam Levine. And, like, my parents are now divorced. <laughs> I'm sure my dad was Adam Levine, there, like, if you're listening. Great. <laughs> I do. There was one Broadway related. Um, Tony Yazbek was starring in On the Town. This Broadway performer. You guys can Google image him. He is very attractive and incredibly talented, like a true triple threat. He was starring in On the Town, which I saw three or four times during its run. He was unbelievable. And I reached out to him because of my like background in uh, musical theater production yada yada and was like hey I'm going with my mom to on the town is there any chance that she can meet you after because I knew that she would love it so we go to on the town and then after I was like oh let's take a little walk and go here and she realizes we're going backstage we go through the stage door and he was so sweet to her took a photo for Mother's Day that year I framed Aww. the picture of the two of them I'm adorable I know and she just loved it so she had a little Broadway crush I mean but who couldn't he's that. so hot oh, my mom always had American Idol crushes Really? Yeah. Like on Simon or on no, contestants? No, on like contestants. <laughs> Are they ever attractive? Yeah, they're. I mean, they're very few. They're all like, I feel like they're all too att- normal for me. And they're all like, by the time you get to the end of the season, I feel like they're all excessively Plucked. groomed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've been they've been waxed. They've because, been yeah. It was like highlighted. Okay, like David Cook. Like we're gonna give you like highlights and like this <laughs> specific <laughs> haircut and like. You're going to have the exact right, like the scientific right amount of stubble. Like that did not work out for him. The American Idol makeovers really were something. I remember when American Idol and I know people still watch it and love it. And God bless. I remember when it was when it was a moment. I watched a couple episodes, the first couple episodes of this, like this year's new season, Mm -hmm. like the audition episodes. And I will say it is still extremely compelling like the way they do, <clears throat> they do a great job at like mm-hmm. editing, mm-hmm. producing those like clip the narrative, and yeah, stuff. the personal history. And they've moved away a little bit from the like obviously bad auditions. Oh, good. Like there's maybe a little bit of like, you know, there's a lot of big like characters. Yeah, still. yeah, yeah. Like they definitely bring in some people who are like, oh, like they're gonna laugh at her, but like it's not so much to the point where it's like. It doesn't feel like a, a joke that they're not in on anymore. Yeah, I mean, it was a part of, like, bully culture. Yeah, I think there's a difference between somebody who really genuinely seems delusional about their mm-hmm. level of talent mm-hmm. and, like, what their journey is going to be mm-hmm. and somebody who feels like they're, like, doing a bit to try and get on TV. 100% agree. I do have to say, I think my favorite generation, aside from OG, was Jennifer Lopez... Harry Connick Jr. Oh, I was tapped out by then. What's his face? Nicole Kidman. 
Um, Keith Urban. Thank you. I thought they had great chemistry together. I was like very into them. The judges now have great chemistry together because it's been... It's the country guy. It's Luke Bryan, Katy Perry, and Lionel Richie. (gasps) Lionel Richie? (laughs) Lionel Richie would be the one to get me to watch. And they've like... When they rebooted it on ABC, which I want to say was in like 2016 or 17, they've had the same judging panel now for like four or five of those seasons. So like they have a good rapport with each other. Wow. Um, And I mean, Katy Perry, like I think is the perfect person for something like that because she like, Mm. she is the kind of that like warmth that that, like, Mm -hmm. you know, Paula Abdul, I feel like kind of created that thing of being like the nice person the nice lady judge, but Mm -hmm. also Katy Perry is like extremely successful, very talented, Mm -hmm. like offers like actually, I feel like all three of the judges now like bring something very, very legit to the table. Whereas like in the past, they definitely after like the first, however many years they got a little stunty, like the Nicki Minaj and the Ellen DeGeneres. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, like, you know, I mean, Ellen is a whole thing, but it's like, you know, like somebody like Nicki Minaj, it's like, obviously she's a, hugely successful musician but it's like on a singing competition show well but then again is it like is it a, it is a singing competition show but so much of it is about performance so if you have somebody there yeah. like a mariah had that worked out i could see why it would make <laughs> sense to have someone there who understands the I power know. and impact of performance yeah because so much know. about pop is not necessarily about singing although maybe we've come back around to that for a long time it it wasn't it was sort of more yeah. of like the package deal packaged ideal it's also just interesting to think about with a show like that what is the goal because like if you think about like the initial seasons of american idol you had people that were legitimately becoming like cultural you know mm-hmm. stars like you know, you're Kelly Clarkson and Carrie Underwood, like Jennifer Hudson, those type of people. But like, I don't know if that's so really like the point of American Idol anymore. I feel like it's just like they just want to produce like good TV. Can I transition to something? Because this course. is organically what I'm thinking about. Of course. What's the goal of this season of New York? Um, <laughs> you know, that we had that conversation. I feel like what's well, interesting because like what's to it's like okay so what is the goal of any season of housewives i feel like first and foremost the goal is like delivering entertainment over however many episodes Mm -hmm. and that usually would be made up of you know some compelling personal storylines some you know like interpersonal you know feuds you know falling outs, whatever, friendships, fights, you know, make up, break up, all of that shit. And then, like, there's got to be an element of fun. Like, you, you know, I think I feel like every season, good season of Housewives has the, like, the good drama, but then also, like, the more lighthearted moments. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this season of New York, it's like we're missing... We're missing the, the personal storyline from, like, half the cast. I feel like... Ebony is Ebony's giving personal storyline. Leah is kind of giving personal storyline. I feel like we, since the first episode, I feel like we haven't gotten anything from Sonia, personally, which pains me to say. We're not getting a lot from Luann, other than her sobriety, which is important, but like, okay, she seems fairly stable in that this season, I would say. Like, it doesn't feel like an active push and pull mm-hmm. in the way it has been in the past. 
And I mean, Ramona, we're getting real estate, maybe. But like, I, I don't think that we're really getting anything that compelling. And I, I don't know, like, we're not getting the moments of fun either. Like, it's hard in a cast with five people. Plus, you know, Heather, Brashawn, whoever is going to be like, mm-hmm. you know, trying to fill in the sixth slot. You know, there's just not a lot going on. And I mean, sobriety is great for those who choose it. But like when you have a party and like it seems like the objective is like drunken antics and 40 percent of the cast isn't drinking, that's only going to go so far. Or you get a different kind of antic and it's a different kind of experience. Yeah. Like I thought it was weird going back to the second or third episode of the season how, like, when they got to Ramona's house in the Hamptons, that first night was the Burning Man party. Mm. And it was, it felt like such a, you know, they're in this backyard party. There are literally only five of them there. And there's, like, an open bar. And after they did that, like, um, energy healer mm-hmm. shrieking in a circle type of thing, <laughs> it was, like, the only activity was, like, now we're going to get drunk. And it's, like, maybe we need to rethink the, like, what these events are going to be like. If you aren't having like a big party and it's only going to be the cast and 40% of the people, two out of five aren't drinking Mm -hmm. and like it's questionable whether it's like good for them to even be around that environment. It's like, and it was the same actually at this week's, um, the dinner in Harlem. One of the like segments of the evening was like this cocktail (sighs) That was so odd to me. That was so There are six people here and two of them don't drink. Like, like I, honestly, like... (laughs) For all that's been said about, you know, Ebony's, like, history lesson or whatever, the cocktails was the weirdest part of the evening to me. I was like, why are you having, like, a instruction recipe cocktail time? It really made me feel like the question that I came out of that episode watching or thinking, the, the question that I came out of that episode thinking was, like, who is the audience? Is the audience when we're talking about things to people, when we're a cast member on the show, is the audience that you're thinking of the people that you're filming with in that scene? Or is the audience, the literal audience of yours watching at home? Because that makes a difference when we're having conversations, whether they're about, um, uh, uh, passion pursuits or friendships or really complicated conversations around race or politics. I need to know when you are talking to someone, are you talking with them because they are a vessel to the greater audience? Or are you genuinely trying to make a connection with them? And that's not geared toward Ebony specifically. I think it's a conversation or a question for like everybody, because right now it doesn't feel clear And as a result, I deeply cringe watch these episodes because I don't know what I'm even watching anymore or why I'm supposed to care. And I think with the scene at the end of the episode with when Ramona had Ebony over at her apartment, obviously, I mean, the whole that scene from top to bottom Mm. was a rough watch. (laughs) It was a mess. It was a mess. Yeah, I watched it. I watched it twice on yeah, same. Tuesday. I watched just that part twice. And, you know, both times I felt like I had to kind of like grit my teeth to mm-hmm. get through that scene. But then it's like on top of the specifics of that, it's like Ramona says at, at the beginning of that scene that she invited Ebony over because she wants to get to know the meat and potatoes of who she is <laughs> as a person. 
And it's like, so if Ramona's saying that, she's telling us that she wants to really get to know Ebony and like get to a, a, you know, like a deeper place with their relationship, which is great. Like if you're going to be on these shows together, like that's what we would hope because it's like, that means you're actual friends and not just like coworkers. Mm -hmm. But then every single thing that Ebony tries to bring up, Ramona doesn't want to hear, doesn't want to talk about, doesn't want to engage in. And I understand like if there are certain topics that are less comfortable for Ramona or like, if she doesn't want to talk about politics, that's honestly, that's fine. But it's like, she's, you have to be willing to, you know, choose your battles and like push and pull. And it's like, if you're telling us that you want to get to know this person, this is who Ebony is. And this is what matters to Ebony. And this is what, you know, this was also the week of the election, which was, can you imagine talking about anything else? Right, it's, it's like, so, it's, like, it's so disingenuous I wouldn't have wanted to, to have someone over me that week. A hundred percent. Well, we were, I was crying to you about shit that week. Remember when oh, I was like panicked mess. and didn't know what's going to, I was literally, I remember texting you crying in central park. Yeah. But so it's like, when you're talking about who is the audience, it's like, Ebony says later in that scene when Ramona's like, oh, well, we had a lovely time. And it's like, no, we didn't. And it's like, is that scene for actually for Ramona to get to know Ebony better? Or is it because, you know, the producers or whoever think that the audience wants a scene of Ebony and Ramona one on one? Because it's like, to be honest, like watching the show eight episodes in. I don't see a reason why Ebony and Ramona really should be better friends than they are. I think my confusion is Ebony has said, which I totally agree with, like, I can't talk about the fluff with you if there are real substantial issues happening in life and you are refusing to talk to them and you are, in a sense, gaslighting me by positioning this in such a way where my life to you feels um like an opportunity for you to escape you know like right. the stakes are higher than you saying well I just don't want to talk about this because as she said like I don't have a choice that being said Ebony has also said you know we can't get past this if you don't value me as a black woman and as a black person and a person of color which I get However, Ramona doesn't like Ramona. Here's the problem is that Ebony is saying we cannot get past this until you acknowledge X, Y, and Z. And I get that. I appreciate that. I agree with it. But the crisis here when it comes to this cast is like Ramona is telling you she doesn't agree or care. She's telling that to you repeatedly so we're in a dynamic where it's like wait we can't go on to other stuff until we make sure that the foundation is set up in a certain way but it's never going to be that way we're trying to make Ramona into something that she's telling you over and over again by you I don't mean Ebony I mean Ebony and all of us that she's not interested in that she's going to attack back on that she's going to leave a scene in her apartment and essentially what I saw was her refusing to film and pretending that talking out loud to her dog was some sort of alternate choice, which Coco, is... we don't want to <laughs> talk about politics. But like we know Ramona is telling us who she is. So in yes. this dynamic, what happens if we continue not to listen? Right. And Ramona is not showing us... A, she's not. She's not a person who is 
struggling with how to be better. Right. She's not a person who is, you know, mm-hmm. doing the work and not quite getting it right yet. She's she is, not Sonia. Right. She's somebody who is saying, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to think about this. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be confronted with this. And I think she and Luann are honestly in a similar space with that. I think Luann's political leanings might be a little less Right. problematic whatever who knows but I think in terms of actually like understanding the importance here I feel like they're kind of on a similar page but it's like it I would feel much different about this season if it felt like there was effort being put in on you know Ramona's behalf but I think it's so obvious at least to us watching that that isn't happening is unlikely to start happening at any point. So it's like, I think my frustration comes with like, I don't want to see, I don't want to see Ebony like spinning her wheels Mm -hmm. for 17 episodes and getting nowhere with Ramona because then it'll be like, we watched this whole season and like, we could have seen Ebony like, you know, hanging out with her her other friends and like thriving and or you know maybe not thriving like going through whatever she's going through and like living her life however she lives her life and you know she said that you know her blackness is the most important part of her identity and that's something that she's never going to stop talking about and that it's not like the producers are telling her to get in there and make it about being black like that's who she is as a person and I am, like, so glad that she's showing that to us. I just, like, I wish it didn't feel so futile. And so I'm almost, like, I'm almost, it's hard because it's, like, yeah, they're, that's who's in the cast. Like, who, you know, is she not supposed to film with Ramona? But it's, like, it just sucks because I feel like she's not getting to be, like, the best version of herself because of Ramona. Right. And the actual she has to adapt to Ramona. Otherwise, there won't be a filming that takes place. We saw that we saw that literally had to happen where she was in a position where the only chance that Ramona was really going to communicate with her or find a middle ground was when Ebony adapted to Ramona. Ramona's refusing. Ramona can't even say that having a woman vice president is an important step forward for women and girls. She won't even have that kind of conversation, which is could not be less loaded. If you oh, are that's pos- not political. She, saying right. saying it is historic f- for us Look, to which elect- Kyle said. Oh, yeah. It's like, I don't think that that should not be controversial at all. But she makes it controversial. Right. She turns. I mean, she's equating everything you know she she was acting like ebony is like baiting her into saying all this political right stuff. which and is it's so like, it's literally untrue it's literally untrue and it's like it's one thing like i was saying if ramona doesn't want to talk about her political views on the show that's fine like i don't I'm not sitting at I'm not sitting at home being like god i wish ramona would tell us she voted for trump because let's be honest we know but like for her, the baseline of saying, like, yeah, like, it's the first woman vice president. Like, that's just a fact. Like, I'll also, 
Ramona saying, I refuse to talk about politics with you, so I will separate myself from production as a result. And oh essentially, God. nobody can force me to do this. But she's politicizing Ebony in such a way that she is making the actual idea of them communicating at any point, at any level, essentially impossible. Right. I mean, when when she tries to bring up her cute little fun fact about EJ Walker and <laughs> Ebony corrects her... And she's acting like Ebony is, like, attacking her for correcting her. And it's like, Ramona, like, <sighs> you've come up with this, you know, you've, like, he you've heard about this woman somewhere. And God knows how many people you're going to, like, spout off to this, you know, little fun fact to try and make yourself seem more, like, cultured or knowledgeable or whatever. And it's like, why not thank her? Like, why not be like, oh, yeah, sorry, like good call i should know her name if i'm gonna like tell people her story i mean that's the epitome of fragility just in general the fact that you are trying to share information to show how you have grown the right. information that you're sharing is actually incorrect you're saying the wrong person's name and when you were talking about somebody who has made history mm -hmm. and you say the wrong name it is actually important that someone's this is the thing with ramona everybody is tiffany everybody's kim her right. her help who help her maybe their her name is elizabeth maybe it's mary she doesn't care enough to learn their names because she doesn't right. treat them with humanity or interest yeah. and she's putting that same level of disinterest and um privilege and blind whatever on a historical figure who happens to also be a black woman the point of Ramona saying this and when she is corrected which is only going to help her not look like a fucking moron and she says how dare you do that I don't want to be taught like, whatever what you're saying to that person is I don't want to feel like you know more than I do so yeah. I need to punish you for knowing information that I actually am telling you I also don't care to learn that she probably learned from, like, a Snapple cap yesterday. She was like, probably, like, spooning with whomever, whatever, living her best life, swipe, you know, with Harry Dubin. And she was like, well, is something that I can say that makes me look like more of a person instead of some sort of melting down robot? Because it's just the same shit all the time. But she's, you know, it's it's the warranty on Ramona is running out. And I don't mean that even in the context of this. I just mean that in the sense of, like, this season is so fucked up. It's so old. It's so tired. And I just, the fact that, you know, when it comes to storylines, it's like, okay, what someone is doing in their life is not a personal storyline. That's just right. information that we have garnered because of maybe a two minute scene or something else there. I don't understand the connection here. Aside from the fact that three of these women have filmed together for a long period of time. That does yeah. not a storyline make. By the way, have you seen the Netflix limited series about Madam CJ Walker? Yeah, with um, Octavia Spencer. Yeah, it's really good. Self-made. Really Check good. it out if you haven't. I feel like was that Netflix? Yeah, it's on Netflix. Oh yeah, it came right. out. La I feel like it came out like very it was early. Like five pandemic. episodes. I wanna say. ish. Yeah. Yeah, it it's was good. good. It's, it was good. It's good. Um, yeah, like I, I will say I have thought this for a while, but I feel like this season it's especially apparent. I definitely think, which I don't think is a hot take at this point, New York needs some kind of shake up yeah refresh mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it and I feel like that will not really happen as long as Luann Ramona and Sonia are all still on the show and 
I think it's tough because it's like individually, I don't think any either, whatever, any of them are like bad at being on Housewives. Totally. Of course not. I mean, like Ramona for all of her like bullshit is like a great Housewives figure. I mean, she's a Housewives historical figure. Absolutely. And even in the last couple seasons, she's still given us some like ridiculous, Mm -hmm. hilarious, really cringeworthy. Like she's given us moments in the last couple of seasons. And I think same with Luann. Luann, if I feel like since Tom. Yeah. Like since Tom, like since the, you know, I've been traveling, I've been to prison. I feel like she hasn't given us as much. And of course, like I love Sonia. I think Sonia is great. I think Sonia benefits from being the most flexible in Mm -hmm. terms of who she gets along with. But I think looking at them as a trio of these kind of spiritual OGs, I guess, like the show will never feel fresh as long as half 60% of the cast is made up of the three of them. And so I really think like, you know, last season, I feel like for kind of the first time there was real talk about like is Ramona gonna get fired like you know it was kind of in the wake of the Stassi and Kristen and Mm -hmm. all of them like it felt more like oh she's kind of problematic like Mm -hmm. will that play into it like people seem to be kind of over her on social media which like clearly Bravo could give a shit about but I feel like last year was the first time where there was kind of a tide of like it might be Ramona's time to go. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this season even more so, I mean, we're not close to the end of the season yet, but it's like... I wish we were, Jesus. I know. It's so bad. It's like, I feel like Ramona or Luann, it like really might be time for one or both of them to go. Like, I I mean, the honestly, like, I don't think you can put it aside given the season we've watched, but like, even if there was no, you know, questionable like racist dynamic going on I just feel like for the vibe of the cast in general there needs to be like some some momentum well there needs to be engagement I felt like that was the strangest part of the event that Ebony coordinated and hosted which was like we're all pretending that these women are curious and what we're learning especially this season is they could not be less curious Sonia is curious Leah is supportive and and curious but Lou and Ramona when you talk about there was no air dynamic it's like they're they're the ones sucking out all of the air in the room because it's such an uneven kind of chemistry where we're pretending that these women are choosing to participate in a night that is in many ways set up to be educational. And it is so apparent. Again, it's like, who's the audience was the audience, your cast members that you're filming with, because as Leah said, like these aren't, these women aren't interested. It's not going to, um, they're not going to be engaged in this. And so it's like, should we adjust our thinking and our strategy for the women, even if we disagree with how they feel, or are we doing this so that we can engage with the greater audience, meaning the Bravo community? I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I just know that this is like, it's such a uneven, odd, outsourced dynamic, just as a cast 
that it's never going to do anything when it comes to like this group coming together because it just feels like the foundation right. doesn't exist. Well, and we're getting like these weird clips of scenes that we didn't see hmm. where oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. when like Sonia, Sonia. Luann and Ramona are like <laughs> talking shit about Ebony basically. Why don't we see that scene? I don't know because it's like we go straight from I don't know. That scene may have been before the Harlem party. I don't know. The scene of them of them panning was Sonia uh, uh, giving her reaction to the Harlem party, if I'm remembering okay, correctly. Sure. I believe you. Um, <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> um, but it's like, OK, so they clearly all three of them, you know, Sonia seems to be a little more on board with what Ebony is bringing to the table. So much more important. Oh my God. But they're all expressing these feelings of like, Ebony kind of talks about this too much. And I feel like it's like the editors are like, maybe afraid of making these three look worse than they already Mm, do. That's interesting. And it's like, because it's like, if they showed us a whole scene that was just the, these three old white ladies talking shit about the black girl, then it's pretty apparent. Like you can't really be like, then to cut to Ramona being like, I just want to get to know her better. Like I want to get to know her. When you know that's so obviously a lie. Right. Right. And so I feel like they're kind of like cutting and pasting. So it's like, we only get like two little comments about how they were bored at the dinner. And it's like, (sighs) okay, but then we we have to pretend that all of a sudden Ramona like wants to be besties with Ebony. And it's like, that feels so inauthentic. And it's like, I don't, Especially when I feel like Ebony is being treated poorly by Ramona. Mm -hmm. I don't want to watch them try to be better friends. Like, I don't want to watch Ramona, like, cry into her arms because it's like she hasn't earned that. She hasn't earned, like, Ebony's time, basically. I 100%. I could not agree more. So, Can I I ask you a question? So you moderated a clubhouse that immediately followed the New York app this week which was on what day of the week tuesday i was 100 gonna be like wednesday and i knew that tuesdays at nine <laughs> tuesdays at nine so you moderated along with a friend of ours jared alexander a yes. conversation on clubhouse with ebony yeah and i'm so sorry i wasn't able to make it but please can you give us some insight on what was discussed and your feeling yeah. coming out of it and if that has changed your perspective on the season or episode so far yeah so it was it was interesting i know ebony had reached out to dave quinn also our friend who is runs club bravo on clubhouse mm-hmm. And she had basically, you know, asked for this space to talk about the episode. Mm -hmm. And so Jared and myself, um, you know, moderated. And it was it was really great to hear Ebony. I haven't been I know Ebony's done some other clubhouses and Instagram lives and things like that. I haven't been super plugged in. Honestly, it's a lot of content at the end of the day. It's It's a lot. lot. You're a content creator. It's hard to like literally watch every single thing. But it was really great to hear (laughs) Ebony speak about and kind of unpack some of mm-hmm. these rony dynamics really on her own mm. on her, with her on her own time you know in a space that you know was designated for that and really I mean it was a very like you know positive space around her it's not like people were coming up and being like why were you mean to Ramona like it was a I mean it was a you know I would say a pretty pro ebony space totally but it was great because she clearly felt safe and supported in that environment to really 
share more about, you know, like where she's coming from as a person. And it was, you know, to hear her talk about how, you know, there's this idea that like production brought her on to like bring up these topics of race and like they, you know, want to whatever, make the other women, you know, look better. I don't know. But it was, it was to hear her talk about how this is something that is not like, it's not like a, an uncomfortable or a difficult topic for her to talk about Mm -hmm. being black and Mm -hmm. her identity as a black woman. And she's talking about how, you know, that is the most important part of her identity as Mm -hmm. a person is her blackness Mm -hmm. and that she's not going to shy away from that. And she never would. And also that like, you know, people are saying like, Oh, like, why'd you plan this dinner? And she's like, because that's like, she's like, I planned an event that was fun for me. Like, this was what I wanted to do with these women. Like, I was excited about that. It wasn't like production came to her and we're like, can you do an activity about black people? Mm-hmm. Like, this is Ebony's, this is Ebony's shit. Like, this is what she enjoys talking about. This is what she enjoys sharing about, you know, her culture, her people, her identity, like all of this stuff. And so... I think, like, that's the biggest takeaway for me is that, like, Ebony doesn't feel like she is in a position where she's forced to have these conversations. These are conversations that she is always having in her life. Like, this is who she is as a person. And I think it's important when you're watching it, whether or not you're loving her as a housewife to really be understanding of that this is who she is as a person. It's not like something the producers have told her, like get in there and talk to Ramona about race. (sighs) (laughs) I don't know. I honestly don't know quite what to say because it feels like there's such an obvious disconnect Mm -hmm. when you have a cast of five and two of them have exhibited really difficult, problematic behavior based on white fragility or privilege or, or whatever the exact case or dynamic example could be when you have five people and two of the five are behaving in that way. That's, 40% of the cast that's a pretty large number and so when we're trying to have these kinds of conversations or more aptly when Ebony is trying to have these conversations and you know going in that if your audience is literally I can't stop saying this but it's really the thing that I keep thinking about is like when we're having this event truly who is the audience because if the audience is genuinely just the women at the table I don't know if you would construct the night differently. Like what is, what is the goal in that night? If you know that Ramona is one of the attendees and it's literally like five people and Leah's sister, you know what I'm saying? Like what is the actual goal? Because it's ultimately, is it to inform these women to inspire them to learn more? Has Ramona ever exhibited an interest or curiosity in things outside of her wheelhouse? Like, Mm -hmm. why would we think that for something as important and also um, sensitive as this topic can be when to one person, this could be seen as a celebration of important black figures to Ramona, who is so obviously not curious about this and also absurdly fragile in her own 
in any question of her intelligence or whatever else, what are we trying to do? Because these women, they don't want to participate in it. And is that enough of a reason not to do it? You know what I'm saying? Like, right. if we know right, the right, end, right. does that mean that this shouldn't exist? Does that mean it should have been changed in a certain way where it feels like it is more of a interesting dynamic from like the from an event perspective where it's like maybe there's more of a spectacle there and we can, you know, uh, find a way to like trick them into learning because their brains aren't set up in a way to actually receive information as being of interest. If Ramona didn't feel like she was in history class, would she have retained anything more about and is that the goal? Like, and the genuinely, answer might be no. Like, the answer right. might be that there's the no way might for be no. to get it. Right. But, yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's like there is no perfect situation because Ramona's kind of a shitty person. And, like, she's not the only one. And, like, Ebony, like, I think Ebony really is, like, doing her best in this situation. 100%. But I'm sure she would acknowledge that she's not perfect either. Totally. And so it's tough because it's like really you're just it's it's a little bit like trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. And I don't mean Ebony into the group. I mean, like the The whole idea of like Ramona being like somebody who is, you know. I don't know what's the right inclusive and, you know. has great, you know, Mm -hmm. viewpoints about all of this stuff. Or even social graces. Right. Like trying to impart all of this knowledge upon her that's the square peg into the round hole because it's like Ramona's you know little ear holes are so tiny Mm -hmm. and there's so much that she doesn't know (laughs) and there's so much that she's uninterested in disinterested in learning and it's like I kept I kept going back to the comment that we saw in the little throwback of the like scenes that you actually didn't watch because we wanted to protect these cast members from themselves. But in what Sonia was saying where she's like, yeah, this is, it was sort of a a difficult event because what she's saying is like the Ebony quote unquote educator thing. What we're not, what she's not saying is the fact that like, again, who's in the audience? Like what she's saying is like, you know, Ebony was talking about this in a way that, and I'm forgetting the exact phrasing and I apologize, but in a way where Sonia was like, yeah, maybe it came across as being um, preachy or whatever the language was. But the thing that we're not saying is like, okay, but then what's the reverse of that? Like who's out, who's in the room? Like, how do you even decide the manner in which to and we all know it's being filmed and it's also Ebony's first season there's so many layers to this which is why it's actually interesting from a nuanced perspective if we as white people because we have the privilege of being able to step out of it and like zooming out on all of this but you know there's Leah's confessional where she's saying and I don't disagree with her that it wasn't landing I think everyone can agree with the fact that that event didn't land and I keep thinking I can't stop saying this I'm sorry I've said it 30 times but cheers to 31 also my spiritually biological age but um how do we how do we deal with the fact that there is confusion about the audience it's not clear to me who this is being directed to because it is so obvious and apparent that it is not going to work out in the best interest of anybody interested in actually talking Mm. when you have Luann there. Luann actually, I think, 
would have been interested in hearing more about Harlem and I'm not saying this in any way that's like sarcastic because when she says that like she and Jacques used to go to Harlem and like experience culture and things I don't I don't think I think she was probably most interesting when she was with Jacques I think he pushed her to be a much more interesting person than she is comfortable ever being and so she gets to depend on the fact that at one point because of a romantic entanglement chapter or whatever she was much more interested in being a more well-rounded human person and also new york city resident than she maybe is now unless a cabaret is located nearby i also think she would have uh she was not mad about hearing why she reminded me of billy (laughs) holiday she was like she was like no 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 no, no. say more more, say more more. i'm not hungry anymore keep talking um yeah i mean i on like it's i mean it's sort of in a similar vibe to me of Tiffany on Dallas this past season, Mm. that it's like um, thinking about kind of her overall experience on the show, which Mm -hmm. obviously was not extremely positive. Mm -hmm. And I just, I have a, a tough feeling that Ebony might kind of end up in a similar position after this season where it's not that she had a bad season. Cause with Tiffany, I think at the end of the season, most of us watching at least people that I talk to are like give Tiffany a fucking you know Nobel Peace Prize yeah, like Peabody. For, for the work she did mm-hmm. this season and also I enjoyed her presence on the show mm-hmm. but that it's like at the end of the season when you're dealing with this group of women are you going to come to a place where you feel like you've had a positive enough experience that you even want to be there anymore and I mean we'll see what happens with Tiffany it seems like there's mixed signals about whether or not she even want to come back. Mm -hmm. But Ebony also, I mean, if I recall when we were in this clubhouse room, like somebody, you know, made some passing comment about like, you know, I hope you're on the show for a long time or something. And she's kind of like, yeah, we'll see. Cause it's, I mean, like for somebody like her, if she has all this stuff going on in her career and whatnot, it's like, why would you want to keep being in a position where you where your job is to try and get through to Ramona Singer like that sounds like the fucking worst job in the world and I know she's not getting paid enough for that <laughs> I because it would be I don't think I've, uh, any housewife has ever gotten paid enough to try and educate so, yeah. Ramona Singer about race relations I don't know what is going to happen next season. I just have to say in the best of times, this season leaves me befuddled and it's so unfortunate, you know, like I do typically because I'm the last couple of weeks, like I, for historically for AG for years, I have watched each episode at least twice and twice was more in the minimum side. And the first time I watch, you know, I'm like texting, I'm doing whatever yeah. I, you tell me things about like, Oh, remember that scene? I'm like, I don't remember that at all because I'm like <laughs> DMing somebody. I don't give it my full attention, but I also am able to like fuck with it for me. Right. And then the second time I watch it for AG and like we were talking earlier and I was like, I can't re I watched the last scene a second time with Ebony and Ramona. Yeah. But I couldn't watch the episode again, which I just, it made me so depressed, to be honest. It just is so, I can't stop saying it. I'm sorry. It's so bad. And then I'm like, okay, well, my reward for that is watching Beverly Hills again. I was just going to ask, how many times did you watch Beverly Hills? Only two and a half, but I will watch it 30 more times. You watched it two and a half, but you were like glad to do it. 
bathing in the joy and the wonder of it all. And there are nuanced conversations that we can have, like what does violate mean? And if you are assigning a sexual component to a term that you're literally being told repeatedly isn't meant in a sexual manner, why are we blaming that person for the thing that she never said in the first place and is telling you repeatedly she didn't mean in that way? Like, I keep there's thinking, real stuff happening. It's also just so much better. My God. I keep, I keep thinking of the... Um, the meme of Oprah from the Harry and Meghan interview where she's like, were you silent or were you silenced? <laughs> and I feel like it's like, were you, were, did she violate you or did you feel violated? Because I think those could potentially be two different things. I also think the thing that nobody's really talking about that I'm sure Crystal is thinking because she is the person in the yes. middle of this is like, we're having this conversation about somebody's naked body being seen with them not wanting it to be seen and probably being worried that it was potentially going to be seen on camera because it's mm -hmm. a cast member coming in who has talked openly about healing Her, from yeah. disordered eating and body dysmorphia. And I, I don't I'm not going to go into anything, but I that's all I'm thinking about totally. the entire time is like levels of violation specific to different circumstances are so wholly different for different people based on what you are bringing to the table in terms of like what healing your you know what trauma you've experienced what you're healing from and so her interpretation from something if for an event happening it may not have been anything for Sutton who's like well right. Kathy walked into me whatever that's Sutton's experience Sutton isn't telling us information that one would think if you think about it, and I get that I'm saying this as someone who's talked about a history of trauma that's led into disorder and body dysmorphia and whatever else, yeah. um, conversation from my therapist and psych, but um, I, I get that. It occurs to me because I happen to have experienced similar experiences, yes. stories, issues, whatever. So I understand that it may not occur to Sutton, but I do also think like that doesn't make all of you guys right for yeah. ganging up on this person who we should be treating with more sensitivity when it comes to something having to do with her own body. Yeah. Okay. couple things. Tell so me everything. I feel like in terms of the word violated, mm -hmm. I think people are being a little, um, people are taking liberties with what, <laughs> with like coming up with their own specific definitions of that Thousand word. Thousand percent agree. And I think the, the actual dictionary definition is a lot more general than people want to act like it is. Like the word violated doesn't mean that somebody like, you know, did something like to your body, you know, like it's a lot, it's not as graphic as you, as they're acting like it is like, you know, on watch what happens live. Garcelle is like, I mean, violated is a serious word to use. And it's like, I mean like, yes, but also like, it's not like that specific to where it's like, no, like violated means this thing, this thing, or this thing. And Sutton didn't do any of that. But I also think like it's really important when you're talking about the dynamics on these shows, but also in real life, I think this comes up a lot that the way somebody personally feels about something mm -hmm. is not always equal to, it. it's not always somebody else's fault. So it's like, I think, it is perfectly valid for Crystal to say my personal feeling was I felt like my privacy, my space, my, you know, whatever, I felt like that was violated. 
And you can also, in the same breath, acknowledge that Sutton didn't do anything that she, you know, there was no malintent. There was no, you know, she didn't like, you know, she made an unfortunate decision to open the door, you, you, you know, like. And it was, making the smart ass remark, which was just as cutting. Yeah. Yeah. Which to me, like when. It's when, an awkward When moment. we've heard the that audio, to me, that reads as like. Sutton felt awkward and said something to try to diffuse yeah, the tension. Yeah, 100%. Like, I, I have never read that in a way that like Sutton was making like a snide comment. But I mean, whatever. If Crystal was in the situation mm-hmm. and that's how it felt to her brain, mm-hmm. her feelings are valid. And so I think these women are sort of acting like, oh, well, like Sutton didn't mean any harm, which is true. So Crystal, she didn't do any harm. And it's like, that's not equal necessarily like intending not intending to do harm is not the same as not doing any harm Uh, well and I also think that everyone is pretending that they understand the definition of um to violate or to be violated and they happen to be wrong so it's like that deserves to be corrected like even when she's telling you she still wants to use the word violated and she's also saying i'm doubling down so that you guys understand it in no way means violated as a uh, regarding my body as a sexual being right. a sexual form it has nothing to do with that and they're like yeah but because we only assign violated with the me too movement exactly. and sexual violence that's the only way that you, you need to choose a different word and because they are wrong the when it comes to information and being factually incorrect it actually matters right. it's not about only and ever about intent and impact exactly. if you are also using the idea of questioning the intent of her use of a word and your questioning involves an incorrect assumption about that word's definition that matters yeah I also I think yeah so like I don't have an issue with Crystal using that word mm-hmm. with Crystal sort of standing her ground mm-hmm. in the sense that that's how she felt about the situation. Mm -hmm. I do think though, where it gets a little more like dicey is the fact that we've seen these flashbacks of crystal, you know, recounting this story a few different times to basically everyone in the group and, you know, using, you know, describing it in a way that maybe makes it sound like, you know, there was more, you know, of an intention on Sutton's part or like that she was, you know, saying something in, you know, maybe like a nastier, like, I don't know. And I think when this episode, when Dorit was saying like, I mean, it's a different different, story than what you, than how you told it the first time. I think it's crystal maybe because she is so new to the dynamic of this show and filming in general, maybe she doesn't realize that she did it like that. And that her story has changed and that I think like now in, you know, when they're at this lunch in Santa Monica, I think she is, has sort of like come down from, you know, the initial incident to a point where she can say, I know Sutton didn't mean anything from this. I felt this way. That's the end of it. Let's move on. And like, you know, we're talking about feeling, feelings being valid I think Sutton's feeling of 
like Crystal was kind of, you know, talking shit about her. Coupled with the other stuff when she was saying, you know, she was crazy, manic, all of this other stuff. I think Sutton has a lot of feelings about sort of how Crystal was talking about her. And so I think it gets messy because it's not a one-way street because then Crystal was kind of involved in this, like, you know, the way she was talking about Sutton, which I also think was, like, not great. So I don't know. It's like, I, I think it's like, I see both sides, but in the sense that I think there are like two separate issues at play kind of. And I think that the women in this group are not necessarily doing a great job of acknowledging the different layers going on. And so it feels like Crystal, like, why can't you just let it go? And like Sutton, like, why can't we just stop talking about it? And it's like, because you guys aren't actually even talking about the same thing. And also Sutton has violated her, not just in walking in a, or or the end result was Crystal being feeling violated, not just because of Sutton walking into her, but also Sutton saying like the goal of life is for us to be colorblind. And when you hold me accountable for that, I'm going to yeah. get upset because you say the word that girl. So we're having this conversation where Sutton gets to play the victim, but so many of us are remembering in our heads what we just saw one or right. two episodes earlier, which surely Crystal is also thinking about or maybe looking back on and thinking, which is like, cool. So Sutton is the victim in this dynamic because she's so worried about her reputation. I would be real worried about uh, saying that the world, the goal of the world is to be colorblind and then telling a woman of color, I need an apology because I didn't like the way that you responded um, essentially defensively when I quite literally told you I don't care about your experience. Like, yeah. if we're going to talk about violation, I do think that, that um, there are ways in which that word can be used correctly and accurately. And I also say that as someone who should and absolutely does acknowledge the fact that we all have different triggers like Sutton's triggers were also her feelings her experience were also triggered by the idea that she had just told this woman in a moment of vulnerability that her father died by suicide and then however many hours or a day later she's being told that she's crazy that she's manic whatever else I mean Mm -hmm. that is a different set of of triggers also you know when Crystal this week was like oh you moved a long time ago like get over it it's like I mean I definitely think we have seen, I mean, we're only five, five, six something episodes in. Oh my God, in. I hope it's 30. Oh, right? 30. Oh my God, can't. But like, I definitely think Crystal has a little bit, of, I don't say this in a negative way. I say this in a very intrigued way because I want to see more. I think Crystal has like a little bit of mean girl in her. Oh my God. And I die for it. And I it. love it. We and need I, that energy on BH. And so I, I need think, somebody that's like, I'm not going to just lay down. I think Sutton has. And play dead. I think Sutton what they're has used to, correctly clocked Fox that in a way that maybe the rest of the cast mm-hmm. sort of hasn't, either hasn't picked up on or hasn't been the target of enough to really mm-hmm. give a shit about it. But I think it's one of those things where it's like, I think Crystal is doing a fantastic job so far. Agree. And in saying that, I don't have to agree with every single thing that comes out of her mouth. And I kind of love that I don't. Because it's like, I think there are certain situations in which she is spot on and super correct. But there are also certain situations where I'm like, I think you're going about this kind of the wrong way. And I love it. I stand a flawed 
human person. And I love when they are on fucking housewives. Like none of us are perfect with the standard can't be this person can never fuck up. Otherwise I'm going to turn on them. That's the whole idiocy of standum is like, yeah. I can only, I absurdly love this person because they're ab- absolutely great. And then the second for some people, the second that they do something you don't agree with, it's like, well, they can go fuck themselves. That's not an interesting conversation to me. That's yeah. not a curious dialogue to have and that's not how people operate I'm also super curious to see kind of how the how Sutton and Crystal develop within the group over Mm. the course of the season because it seems like based on interactions that have happened kind of while the season has been airing it seems like Crystal is closer with the majority of the group than Sutton like when they had that Mm. party at I think at Kathy Hilton's house like it was maybe the second episode or something. When there she was did like a, a watch viewing party. party for when yes. she entered and she threw this whole fucking glam thing. It was like at that event, it was like off every, camera guys in real time. It was like everyone but Sutton and Garcelle, I think were there. Maybe there was like one other person missing, but like it was definitely like, oh, maybe Erica wasn't there. Maybe. I don't I mean, know. even if she was, but it was, was she? Like, it was like Crystal was like, at the event, she clearly is close with Kathy. Mm-hmm. They were on Watch What Happens Live together. Like, probably the most fun Watch What Happens mm. episode in years. Like, I like... I'm. It, it's encouraging to me to see that this dynamic is developing and that Crystal hasn't been, like, ostracized yes. from the group because of whatever she's bringing to the table. And compared with seeing Ebony come on to New York and basically immediately being sort of the outsider Mm -hmm. and having to kind of like put in all this effort and same with Tiffany that happened on Dallas, like seeing crystal actually like slide right into the group Mm -hmm. and get right in the middle, but not in a way that makes her like a party of one fighting for her life. She's felt to me like a natural fit. Oh, absolutely. And it was, it was interesting because when she was announced as a housewife, like back when they were filming, We really didn't know anything about her. She is, you know, she's not somebody who's had a really public persona in the past. We didn't, I didn't feel like I had much of an idea of like, you know, where her alliances were going to be. Yeah, I love a private individual. What her personality is going to be like. And so it's been kind of like a fun surprise Mm -hmm. over the last few weeks to really get to know her a little bit and to see kind of like, how she engages in these social situations and I'm loving it. Same. And I also have to say sort of similar to Kathy Hilton, who is not a private individual. She's been a public individual probably in many ways since the day that she married Rick and she became a Hilton and just watching how fucking kooky she is. I die for it. I love her energy. I love the energy of the cast. I have zero complaints about Beverly Hills. I think they're doing everything. It's so good. I love watching like, the Sutton, like Sutton v. Sutton is really interesting to me because Mm -hmm. she self-sabotages so much and just like her reactions to to things and then pretending that like Crystal needs to get a sense of humor, which is so funny coming, like genuinely, like I love. When she's like, oh, well, I'd love to see her sense of humor someday. (laughs) I don't think I've seen it yet. And you don't want to get me angry. It's like, babe, we've seen you angry every day. What are you talking about? I keep forgetting and then remembering the scene in the trailer of, your ugly leather pants next week and I am like foaming at the mouth I am so excited for it and I think it's probably gonna be like the last seconds of the episode oh, to stretch it oh, and I'm absolute, fine with that absolutely. do whatever it will be 
it will be like Sutton yelling one thing, Crystal yelling another thing, and to be continued. You know they love a blackout. They love a blackout. The to be continued have maybe gotten a little out of hand, but mm-hmm. if any show is earning them right now, it's Beverly, Beverly Hills. Hills. I have to say, it is. It makes me so happy, and I am like, I genuinely never thought that this would be the case. That Erica's divorce is not even like chef's <sighs> kiss. It's not even like Mm-mm. carrying the season. Mm-mm. And I mean, we're clear, like you know, she just got divorced. Two episodes ago, like there's going to be more like obviously unfolding, but like there is so much more that's happening. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when filming was happening and the divorce news was breaking, kind of the fear in the back of everyone's mind was like, is this going to be another Beverly Hills season where everybody is like hanging on by a hope and a prayer and a thread until this one maiden storyline happens Mm -hmm. and then for 12 episodes they're going to like milk this for all it's worth. And it's not actually going to be that good. Cause we've had that in the past with like, you know, Denise gate, puppy gate, mm-hmm. you know, what have you. And that's kind of why Beverly Hills has been so flat in the last few years. Cause they've relied on these kind of like artificially inflated scandals. And this, it to see that it's not happening like that is like, Well, it's the group isolating against one, usually pushing them out. But what happens when that potential isolation comes within the group itself? Like what happens when it comes from within the majority power and how does the majority power react to that? Yeah. And it's super interesting because I understand if you are friends with Erica, you know, like if you're in the position of Arina, a Kyle, whoever, I understand the inclination to maybe give her the benefit of the doubt and to be like okay well like you know she's going through this divorce like you know like we don't know what she knew blah 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 blah. but it's interesting the level to which these women seem to be kind of like closing ranks around her Mm -hmm. and I'll be super curious to see like if that's kind of something that they're doing publicly to kind of not give too much away about the season Mm -hmm. or if, and if that really continues once we've seen more of it unfold on the season. Cause Garcelle said on watch what happens live this week that at the point we are in the season with filming, right. They, the like fraud news hadn't reached them. If it had broken, it hadn't reached them. Definitely. It, It hadn't broken in the fresh way that it did. Yes. Late 2020. Yeah. There were lawsuits, whatever. I don't think. But it was like the house of cards came tumbling down in one fell swoop for a lot of people. Right. We hadn't seen the headlines about like sham divorce. Mm -hmm. And so I think it'll be really interesting and really telling to see once that starts playing out on the season. Do the other women in the cast, you know, start to kind of distance themselves from Erica? It doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Because, you know, like, since more recently, they've still been on Instagram, hanging out, Fox, whatever. Fox vs. Five. <laughs> Can't. Um, but it's, like, it's going to be really interesting to see, like, if things develop more. You know, we're supposed to be getting financial records. Yes, she's forced to turn Erica. them over yeah, from like, her landlord. All of this stuff. It's, like, is there going to be a point of no return where these women finally feel like they shouldn't be friends with her anymore. Like, is that going to happen? 
is it more likely that they may be nervous about talking to her for things because they know that ultimately they could get like subpoenaed? subpoenaed. I mean, I think that's why she was like, I'm not going to tell you guys fucking jack shit about what's really going on. It is so interesting to see her um, weave a web on this show. And of, online. Yeah, but like what she's saying. She's on, a real sassafras, it's, that one. It's really interesting to see kind of like how she's going about this because I will say on, I think it was last week's episode when she first, you know, walked in the door, was talking about the divorce. <laughs> this is what happened with Tom. Like she, she said more than I expected her to say. The question is, of course, whether any of that is true, mm-hmm. how much of it is true, to what degree it's true. But, like, I, she gave more story than I was kind of expecting. So I've, it's been interesting to watch. But, like, this week when she was saying, when she was in the car with Rena and she's like, I don't know about any other woman, you know, like, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I don't know if I believe that. Mm-hmm. I mean, she had texts from Trisha A. Bigelow from like 2004, <laughs> 2011. Yeah, why did those what become did suddenly available? And like, granted, I know they filmed that scene before she posted those texts on Instagram because that was in December. So like, you know, there is a lot of interesting timeline stuff going on here that I would love an explanation of. Erica, if you want to. Um, Erica, if you're listening. Um, Erica, if you're listening, <laughs> we'd love a timeline. <laughs> Uh, but it's just super interesting because like, I don't know, I can't think of the last time we had a storyline like this where we had so much information out in the real world. Mm -hmm. And then we watched a housewife craft a narrative around it on the show. And like, it's, it's like a choose your own adventure, choose your own what to believe of Mm. like, okay, do I believe like this half of Erica's story or, like, do I think that that detail is a lie? I mean, it's just, like, some of the stuff, like, when she's talking about, like, selling her clothes on Vestiaire and, like, you know, then she... And sounds like, why are you doing this? Like, it's I so took nice. the couch. I took the Chagall painting. Like, <laughs> there are so many little breadcrumbs that she's dropping. Mm. And it's, like, which one of them's... Which, which ones of them are gluten-free? Like... Completely. Uh, it's oh, it's fascinating. How could she ever possibly attend BravoCon? Is there a world in which oh, there's no way people I, would be yelling? People would be I even mean, if they don't they do the Q and A. As far as I've seen, I don't think they've had her doing any press this entire time. Andy said she's not doing press, she's and then the press. next day there she, were shots of her in the press line at the Nickelodeon Awards. So she's well, not she, doing press where she has to talk. Right. She did a step and repeat, but right. she wasn't taking questions. Right. I don't think she's been on Watch What Happens Live yet no. this season. I'm curious to see if they will ever make that happen this season. It's going to be really interesting. Because, I mean, same. It's hard to imagine for me that they won't have at least some of the Salt Lake cast at BravoCon and like Jen, Jen should be in town. She's got oh. <laughs> trial starts the day after. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to see a copy of like whatever document when she like requests to her judge to come to New York three days early for like a work event. <laughs> I want to see her Google cow for October. I think it's probably got to be something, but like how could Erica and Beverly Hills listen, worst panel BravoCon by far, times Google million. Google Cal is probably a mess because uh, Stuart can't organize it for her. <laughs> it's a very good point. I wonder, is that like, okay, so the defendants are not allowed to have direct contact, but like, does communicating through like Google Cal invite count? <laughs> like, 
she she puts in the it's like the Morse code of like RSVP. She puts yeah, she puts the like what Stuart needs to know in like a separate doc, and then he like formats it into the cal dry cleaning pick up the dry cleaning but that actually stands for like have you laundered the bills (laughs) (laughs) Stuart! (laughs) i was gonna i was gonna like pantomime jen shaw talking into her microphone but then i realized i'm holding a microphone in my other hand (laughs) i hope that jen shaw's jury i hope that they call them the shaw squad oh my god that'd be great oh my god maybe i should i think i actually have to like report for jury duty or whatever Maybe like six months ago or something. I should probably find out about that. I don't. I think I might still not be registered in New York for that. I wonder if I, I could. Fi- oh no, do. I wouldn't. They wouldn't let me on there. The problem. They'd be is, like, have, "Do you watch Housewives?" It, oh, <laughs> Sarah. <laughs> we we would get Sorry. sent home from that jury in a second. Questioning so fucking fast. Oh my god, I love it though. I'd be like, "Oh my god, can you imagine? What if we did like non Bravo watcher drag?" And I was like. I was like, oh, the housewives. Um, I'm more of a lifetime girl. What's uh, what's the the um? Is that the one with the rose? Will they accept it? Like Nene, that <laughs> one is that. <laughs> There's the um, the 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 the, and they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Would love to see it. Also, we are here in New York. It is the Southern District. That's you the know. real housewives of what? <laughs> I'm single. Is that what you're asking? <laughs> Are you interested? Yeah, I think it could be. It could be the Bravo truly network. Something. I think I saw Top Chef once. <laughs> oh, oh, poor Top Chef. Also, rest in peace to the season. <sighs> what an ending to a fantastic season. You know, Team Shoda. Team Shoda, and just some unfortunate news team coming out Shoda, today about Gabe. Team Shoda and Team Don get the fucking food on the plate. And team Shoda and Team Don. Don, look at your wa- set an alarm. Honestly, when you have two minutes, set an- they have, but they're shouting out how much time is left. Consistently leaving stuff. You know, when you talk about leaving stuff on the table, it's like my God, just add to it first. I, yeah, right. Like at the very least. Make sure all of the plates have the same stuff on them. Or just remember, it's not I mean, even remember yes. the, I don't think she ever forgot about the, guys, I'm, this is like niche top chef, but like, no, it's, it's, not, it's okay, not that I she forgot say, about the potatoes. It's that she didn't have enough time to put them on. I don't think this has anything to do with like memory stuff or like, I think it's truly, she has a timing issue. It was rarely, it was rarely if ever. So if you didn't watch the season of top chef, first of all, go watch it. Yeah. Second of all, Dawn, who was in the final three, I'm spoiling it right now, but she, at least four times, I want to say, throughout the season. At least four. At least four, when they were serving the food to the judges. Didn't make it of, to the plate. At least one of her components of yeah. the dish yeah. didn't Component make it onto some of the plates. Which is a very, very big deal. Right. Like, I was surprised at one one or two different challenges. I was surprised they didn't send her home for that. I mean, the potatoes that really like gutted oh my spirit, my to be honest, because they loved her dish so much. And they were like, the only thing would have been something to like sop up the. And she's like, yeah, I had the potatoes. They were supposed to be the star of the dish. <laughs> Start with the star, babe. Like... I have to say, I this was the first season oh, of Top so Chef good. that I watched like live, like live mm. or like live adjacent while mm-hmm. it was happening. I've seen other seasons in the past, but not like, you know, I've watched them on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Um. I was surprised whenever I did post about it, how many people would respond with opinions. Like in my mind, Top Chef is like more of a niche Bravo show, but I think it's actually 
less niche because people who don't watch Housewives and stuff fuck with Top Chef. 100%. I, I think it's it's it can be two different audiences. And I just have to say, like, I'm such a Top Chef fan. They have maybe the single best judging panel on oh, TV. Padma they, is they so have, good at her job. Holy shit. Everyone there is a judge so and a fucking qualified. They're so oh, and they're so good. They're so, so good. good. They're dynamic with each other. Oh, is great. The way on. they the way they. OK, the thing is with Top Chef that I didn't realize for a long time, and I think this season made me appreciate it, they are cooking at such a high level. Mm. Like, it is so... It is so unrelatable in, like, the cooking aspect. Mm -hmm. But the way they bring it to the viewer, Mm -hmm. the way they talk about the food, the way they raise the stakes with the challenge, the way they, like, kind of break it down makes it so exciting and makes it so much more interesting than a, than other cooking shows where they're cooking kind of like basic shit. But like, you know, like on like, if you're watching like Hell's Kitchen or something, Ugh. they're literally making the same food every week and it's just like Gordon Ramsay yelling. Nightmare. But Top Chef, it's like so elevated. Prestige. But the way that like Padma and Tom and Gail yes. like bring it to us mm-hmm. and talk about it, it's like, and they translate it translates to the audience because we speak through the language of passion and everybody on that show is so yeah. passionate and you can you know you can know that someone's talented without knowing what uh, an amuse bouche is you know and if you don't mm-hmm. know the chance is likely that they're going to teach you and unlike they Ramona we're little, all interested in learning those little um chirons that they put at the bottom of the yes. screen like explaining you know what a different dish is mm-hmm. or what an ingredient is or a cooking technique like whoever on Genius. their team like writes those and like adds them in does such a great job also i feel like top chef you know was from an era like it premiered around the same time housewives kind of started like it's very like old school bravo Mm -hmm. and i feel like there was that was an era of like competition reality tv where there were just like a million and a half different shows Mm -hmm. and like most of them we probably haven't thought about in Mm -hmm. 14 years but like the way top chef really like rose above that and also like Definitely at one point when I hadn't really watched Top Chef, I was like, oh, like all these shows just have like a hot host. But like Padma is like so fucking good That's at her That's the job. thing that I have to explain to people when they're like, why should I watch Top Chef? And like, is Padma good? And it's like, wow, like she is extraordinarily talented and she right. knows food. She knows how to humanize people. She knows how to translate the even the judging perspective to the contestants knowing how it'll be reflected on the audience tom is unbelievably fantastic i'm also a foodie even with like dietary stuff and i fucking Mm -hmm. stand so hard for tom that it's wild and he's so good on tv and also such a talented superstar genuine celebrity chef and it's like it's just everything is wonderful gail is fantastic it was like a sea change for me when i realized that padma wasn't just like the host yeah because it's like we also came from katie lee joel who yeah i mean that was the first season host but it wasn't it was a different kind of show with her padma's every die for padma this is a padma stan account i also love her if you watch top chef i don't know if this is like a, a thing that everybody picks up on but when they talk about the prizes and it's like a cash mm. prize, her commitment to the phrase furnished by. Oh, my God. Sam Pellegrino. But it's like and then it'll be like for this week's quick fire, the prize is five thousand dollars furnished by Campbell Soup. 
Like, every time it's furnished by. And I just love that specificity. Also, I want to buy everything. It's like the the love and admiration genuinely I have for these companies and brands for, like, giving my mm-hmm. beloved contestants money. I dr- I like them more. <laughs> it Done. really is very Congratulations. Successful. You are the winner of this week's Quick Fire Challenge. You win $5,000 <laughs> furnished by our friends at Whole Foods. I have to say just shout out to Sam Pellegrino. I really do actually <laughs> genuinely enjoy your products and I love a glass bottle. And that's all I'll say about that. I just love Top it. Top Chef is so good. <laughs> um, Dylan Haver, Top Chef is so good and so are you. Tell the people how to follow you on social and listen to your amazing pod artistry. Oh my God. Yeah. Artist store. Well, so my my newest endeavor is my <laughs> podcast Pop Alarm, which is a pop culture news podcast that comes out five days a week. Ooh. And it's the episodes are five minutes or less. It's like your quick updates on what's going on in entertainment news and pop culture. Obviously, you can get that wherever you listen to podcasts. And I also am the co-host of Mention It All, uh, a Bravo podcast, much like Sarah's. Mm. Um, (laughs) Is it also about psychology through the lens of being a woman Bravo? (laughs) Much like Sarah's in the sense that it's about Bravo. There Um, we go. <laughs> no, very different vibe. Uh, we do that three times a week, also wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, and you can follow Bravo by Betches on Instagram for all the Bravo content and follow me at Dylan Hafer. And guys, while you're following Dylan, which you should be doing, you should be sending me your cash money because that's my favorite thing to do. Money, 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 money. Money. Um, <laughs> Patreon.com slash Andy's Girls put up a super sized satchel spectacular hour long exclusive Patreon app uh, unpacking the Potomac taglines and some crazy wild satchels, including one that about Croy that was actually very. <gasps> Yeah, very informational Wait, for me. Croy Beerman. Croy Beerman. I was I like, I haven't thought about him in a while. Timely and wonderful. I was very into it. I was actually, it just gave me some clarity on some stuff I've discussed previously. So I loved it. And some great information from someone who works in the finance world about Wait, all things Tom and Erica and exactly why he fucked up. Ashley's tagline. Oh, um, the only thing messier than two boys is, is me. me. I'm like, I mean, honestly, go off. Queen, queen level energy on Potomac. Um, two quickies that I do want to touch base on, uh, both of which mean something to me. And uh, I just want to use the AG platform accordingly. Two great friends of mine, Lauren and Mariah Smith, who you guys may know from the Smith sisters, which they host with their sister on Radio Andy. They've both been on AG Mariah multiple times. Uh, They unfortunately, in a um, terrible, uh, they're going through a lot right now. Their father, Dr. Jonathan Smith, um, who is very renowned and well-known, especially in the St. Louis area, um, passed away tragically and suddenly, um, I want to say the the week before last. And um, so I just want to send all of my love to um, Mariah and Lauren. And I also want to let you guys know that previous to his passing, the um, uh, Black Repertory Company in St. Louis had put together uh, a production called Do I Move You?, based on a collection of his poetry um, and also his inspirations from the music and dance realms, jazz, religion, love, and family. 
Um, and uh, after he very tragically and unexpectedly passed away, they actually extended this online production. I listened, I watched it this week. I thought it was incredibly powerful. It's completely free, although, of course, donations to the St. Louis um, Black Repertory Company are um, definitely encouraged. And if you're able to do so um, in Dr. Jonathan Smith's name and memory, and certainly in honor of his unbelievably wonderful um, daughters whom I adore. Um, I would encourage you to go to theblackrep.org and just some information on the Black Rep. It's one of the largest not-for-profit professional African-American theater companies in the nation and the largest African-American performing arts organization in Missouri. Um, he unfortunately passed away on Juneteenth. Uh, and I just want to send all of my love to the Smith family. And I'm going to include a link in the show notes to the Black Rep if you are interested in donating um, in his memory and in his daughter's honor. I'm sure that would be gratefully appreciated by all who knew and loved uh, Dr. Smith. And I also just want to say on um, a very uplifting note, just kidding, that <laughs> this weekend, July 4th, marks the 23rd anniversary of the worst day of my family's life. And I'm totally fine about it. The cool thing about loss is that <laughs> they tell you sometimes it gets easier with time. It actually just gets a lot more complicated. And sometimes it gets a little bit worse. And 23 years ago, my brother was at a 4th of July pool party. And he dove into a pool, broke his neck, and is now a quadriplegic. And it forever changed my family. In many ways, it broke my family. And it's something I was present for and will kind of live with that trauma forever. But... There are ways in which I can find some goodness in coming out of that. Um, you know, something my dad has talked about in a book he read about the accident was really about the waves of support that the community and his many friends, friends of the family, enveloped him with. And I feel that same support to this day. And I just want to really encourage anyone who is going to celebrate the 4th of July, which is like the darkest day for <laughs> And it's wonderful because there's fireworks and people having barbecues and partying. And God, there. Bless, God bless America. Yeah, God bless America. There I am being like, fuck you <laughs> the whole day. Yeah. But I just want to encourage you that if you are near a body of water, an ocean, a pool, a river, perchance, that you just keep in mind that the safest dive you can ever make is the one you do not actually take. Um, and I'm gonna, uh, I've included a lot of information on that on my social media. Just really be aware, especially if you're a parent or a caregiver of young people, the summer months are the absolute highest for people to sustain spinal cord injuries. Good friend of mine, unfortunately, um, last month reached out to me because a family member of his sustained a high level spinal cord injury, which was a wild experience and I've gotten that call from several people in my life since my brother's accident 23 years ago and um, so just want to encourage especially because the majority of in injuries are young people young men um, there are a lot of things to keep in mind about safety guidelines and especially because the majority of these injuries do occur during the summer months when you're not thinking about anything else but having a free fun moment just keep in mind that um you know there are a lot of families that aren't able to experience the kind of joy and escape because of diving injuries and I just want to say that if my family's story can be in any way a PSA um and if I can share a little bit of the pain that has come from 
a split second decision made by so many people every day. Uh, I just want to really encourage you guys that um, water can be deceptive, even if you're a good judge of depth and have fun, do other things, eat a hot dog. Just please, please, please do not dive. Um, And on that uplifting, wonderful note, just a joy, just what an upper of a day. Can I just say that my favorite moment from Housewives this week was um, Kathy Hilton saying that Mazel Tov meant Merry Christmas. And I just want to let you know that as a Jew, I knew exactly what she meant. And I appreciate her for that. And I would say Mazel Tov back back to her. Mazel Tov to Santa, to the elves, to everybody else. Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov to all of you, all the AGs listening. Follow me on Instagram (laughs) at Team Galley. Send me your money because I solicited uh, Instagram follower um, suggestions for what to do for July 4th since I'll be solo here in New York City. And uh, a lot of people said a massage and I'd love to do it. So join my Patreon because I want to go to the Great Jones Spa. (laughs) (laughs) be near a body of water that is in fact a pool that uh, I know not to dive into because of the terrible tragedy just floating just floating just floating floating. I don't really you know since I got my hair colored it's like I'm not gonna Mm. put my you know I'll I'll dabble I'll bring a a bathing suit who are you to get me wet I mean listen there won't be a plastic cup oh no wait was it glass it was glass I always and I asked Kristen about that and I forgot just now if it was plastic or glass. Just make sure Kristen's not going to Great Jones. I mean, I will wear a pop of color and it won't be red, white, or blue, is all I'm gonna say. (laughs) I do look good in pink, so there's that. (laughs) Guys, I die for you, love you. Hope you're staying safe, staying sane, getting vaccinated if you can, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.